I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So what do you guys do for like seven straight hours? Sid and I have gotten pretty good at a couple of Rush songs. What do you mean? Like fast-paced rock? No, like Rush. I don't know them. Wait, you don't know Rush? No. You tell you don't know Rush? Mm-mm. No. All right, I'm gonna hit you up with a little iTunes action. I cannot believe you've never heard Rush. Are you ready to get your world rocked? Ready. Yes. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Do it. Well, prepare to be Russified. Um, trusting the coverage, trusting exactly where guys will be. Um. Was Sounds better on big speakers. He, uh, I could see that. Good rhythm, uh, especially third down in the first half. Um, good, right? Yeah. yeah knowing yourself gives you a chance. And the only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? Yeah! How about them Cowboys, indeed? Oh yeah, it's a new day. Yes, it is. Cowboys fans, we're back in this thing. One and one. It's amazing what happens when you get. Some good offensive play. Things are looking up and some room to make some headway in the division this weekend against the New York Giant footballs. And it should be good, but we're back to maybe reflect on the last win and then look ahead a little bit. Look around the division, check in on a former coach that's now on television. All that and more on this episode of About Them Cowboys. Welcome in. I am Kent Producing and joined by two of the best of the best when it comes to breaking down all things Dallas Cowboys football from The Athletic and many other appearances he's making across the internet, TV nowadays. It's Father John Mishota and, of course, your host, the Red Hot Chili Pepper himself, KT Turner. Hey, KT. Yeah, I really only build on the podcast. It probably, if it was just the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I probably wouldn't have gone because I was kind of more into seeing the strokes. And they just don't tour that much, you know? And I haven't seen them before. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you haven't seen a band, you should do it. So luckily, you guys can handle it as you did. And I enjoyed listening to it. It was actually very fun to listen to. And I had a fun strategy of going like, if you're going to watch the Cowboys game closely, but not want to deal with traffic. So I actually watched a lot of that Cowboys game from the parking lot outside of Ranger Stadium. And watching excited Cowboys fans leave AT&T Stadium and walk over to the show because there's a lot of people that did that that went to go see the Red Hot Chili Peppers right after a Cowboys win. It was kind of nuts. So it was actually kind of a fun day of taking in Arlington, but I I saw you. I saw saw you on that horse in that Walmart. That was wild. That was me. Look, yeah, and I look. Walmart. I just I, these gas prices have gotten out of control, so uh, I just uh, uh, hopped on top of my pet horse. Um, that was pretty wild too. That was pretty wild, man. Hey, did, did the Cowboys win a game and the city? The whole mood of the city changes. It's amazing. We went from doomsday last Monday to now going. What if Cooper Rush can reel off maybe two or three in a row? Then where are we gonna be? Like it's nuts, and it's our. It's not that it doesn't matter that we talk about it. It does. But, like, 
We should all, all of us, and I'm talking about everyone, not just media, should all like learn a, le- a lesson about just like assuming things in the NFL. I mean, this is a circus well, at all times. It's crazy. Well, I'll defend John from last week when he was like, they played terrible with Dak. We have no reason to believe they'll be any better with a backup quarterback. And that's that's the mentality I went in with to the game with. And I think that's a, that was a fair assessment across the entire week last week. I mean, there's just so many similarities of why you wouldn't think. I mean, that's the first time they've played well at home against a good opponent, that non-NFC East opponent, in, I don't know, since like 2019. So that was kind of an outlier. It was kind of surprising. I sit there and... Yeah. You see comparisons between them and, and Tampa. Games being played in the same stadium. Most of the same players are there, except for your starting franchise quarterback. Why would you assume that they would come out and, I don't know, score touchdowns on their first two possessions? Yeah, and it's like, so the first drive, too, the fourth and two play is, like, huge. And I know we're not going to recap the whole game again uh, right now, but that was just such a – a ballsy move. It was a ballsy throw, you know, right. to to make that that throw when I don't know. To me, it looked like Dalton Schultz was open, but it, you know, either way, you had the open guy and you just kind of sat in there and and did it. But you did get the feeling, and I don't think that's just us saying that or me saying that right now. You did get the feeling that when that call was made to go for it on fourth and two at the forty-two, it was hey, let's go out fighting, right? That felt like that was the move because what Absolutely. happens if you don't get that? You know? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was going to be more of a safe throw. Something in the flat, maybe something underneath to, like you said, Schultz, maybe running back out of the backfield, something like that. Maybe a short crosser. Didn't didn't see that throw coming at all. Real quick, I also wanted to mention, I don't know, did you go to Texas Live at all? Uh, I did not because it was so packed. Okay, so I heard so. it was just crazy after yeah. Maher's field goal goes in. But, you know, after the game, we do the podcast. You know, I'm writing uh, for you know a few hours. I'm me and there's maybe two other people left in in the stadium, and I get to my car, and there's still so many people out there. And Texas Live, you can just hear blaring, "Journey, <laughs> don't stop believing." And I was just like, "What is going on around?" They're so all anyway, partying thought, at Aikman's Aikman's spot I, there, <laughs> right? I thought of that when you said the whole thing about. Uh, it just a, a Cowboys win changes everything. And now people are kind of thinking, hey, maybe there is a chance here that if they get Dak back and they got Michael Gallup coming and Jason Peters and who knows, maybe they get, get back James Washington. Like maybe there's something here. Dak gets healthy. So, yeah, NFL is an interesting. Just look at the, look at all the uh, spreads for this week's games. I mean, they're all within seven points. I mean, yeah. it is it is just the greatest I mean, it just doesn't disappoint. It's so good. All of it is so good. And so it, let's say uh, hypothetically, let's say the Cowboys win week one but still lose Dak. It's fourth and two at their own 42. Are they punting right there or are they going for it? But they won Without, week one. Oh, yeah. Okay, if they if they won week one? Yeah. Mm, I don't think so, No. I don't think so Heck, either. Maybe even if, they, even if they look like they had a pulse on offense in week one, they might not. But the fact that they looked so bad on offense week one, you kind of see where they're trying to f- find something. Let's try and set the tone early 
and, and kind of build some momentum offensively so that we're not playing from behind and, and, and playing kind of scared and tentative. And so I also think it was important to kind of get Noah Brown involved early. And then even CeeDee Lamb, they, they had a pass to him in the flat early on, just trying to get every, you know, move the ball around a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I can't, I have no fault with the game plan at all. I thought it was excellent. So let's uh, let's talk a little um, injuries here because there's a you know a little bit going on there. Uh, let's start with Dalton Schultz um, knee, little banged up. It's still early, and by the way, we're recording this on Tuesday night, so you know a little extra day for the game. Uh, but where do we stand on Dalton Schultz as of right now? So Jerry Jones on 105.3 The Fan Tuesday morning called it a sprain and noted that this week is up in the air but he doesn't expect it to be more than that. Also didn't rule him out. So, it, I mean, with them having a game on Monday, buys you an extra day, who knows, we'll see. But it doesn't sound like it is anything more than a week that he would miss. And frankly, if you're a Cowboys fan, you should be elated about that. Because if you're watching that game and the way you saw him grab his knee, there's no way that you thought, oh, he might miss one game at most, if nothing at all, let alone that he came back into the game, and then, but he then waved himself back out. It's surprising if he only misses one game because when he immediately grabbed his knee, you were thinking it was pretty serious. No, absolutely. And then uh, Jake Ferguson, it feels like they've got a lot of confidence in Jake Ferguson, and they played a lot of two tight end sets. So that's going to you know continue whether Dalton Schultz you know is there or not. Um, right. But it is very good that you know, as, for as much we've talked a little bit about Jalen Tolbert, maybe we'll get to him in a second, and not having their third-round pick, no one's really talk about how much their fourth round pick is actually playing so far this year, and that's that's a good thing. Absolutely, and and if Dalton Schultz can't go, Jake Ferguson steps into that role. I think he had a little over thirty offensive snaps in that game on Sunday. Dalton played around fifty, so if you got to give him fifteen more snaps, twenty more snaps, I think he can handle that. And then that means a lot more time for Peyton Hendershot, and then maybe Sean McCune is called up from the practice squad. And so he's got some experience from last year. It, it's interesting because going into training camp, we never would have felt this comfortable with the yeah. with the uh, tight end group. If Schultz went down, you would have thought, well, they're going to have to change it, completely change the entire game plan. And I don't think that's the case here. So uh, they got some they got some players that, that can make some plays there. They're not going to be as good as Schultz, but I don't think that there's going to be this tremendous drop-off. Yeah, I don't either. And I don't know. Maybe that's the whole uh, stereotypical uh, background of the you know um, Nebraska wide receiver, uh, Nebraska tight end thing going on, like a guy who can handle it. But uh, Dennis Houston uh, was waived today to make a little uh, roster room. Maybe he's a guy they can get back and retain on the practice squad. But is that also a sign that Jalen Tolbert is probably going to be ready to go, or at least? I said ready to go like he wasn't like he was ready to go uh, probably probably mentally and physically but like is that is a good sign that he's going to be on the roster like moving forward not necessarily because that could be just a move to get Michael Gallup on there so yeah. you know he, Michael Gallup was also inactive and and judging by what he's done he didn't practice last week and is expected to do this week again also having the extra day with the game being Monday night there's a chance that Michael Gallup plays in this game and I think it's a it's a pretty decent chance now I don't expect him to be out there the normal amount of snaps he would play if he was completely healthy he'll probably be on some type of a pitch count but having Michael Gallup I feel like even if it is for 20 snaps is a lot better than not having him and so 
Houston, like you said, they'd love to have him back on the practice squad, but they have to make moves. And uh, if it's not for Gallup, then yeah, it has to be Jalen Tolbert uh, up. And let's be honest, we thought that was going to be the case from the start of the season. So now that we're in week three, it seems like it would be about time to get Tolbert out there. So we'll see what happens there. But I wouldn't say it's it's a guarantee that this means Tolbert's on the fifth or on the active roster on game day. Am I wrong? Do we have a little bit of um a little bit of a situation on the offensive line where I th- I feel like Tyler Smith is held up very well. Peters is here. I don't know if Peters will be ready to go. Maybe you could fill me in on that. But what are they thinking if they bring Peters in? Are they still thinking? Or is the line of thinking still move Tyler Smith back to left guard? I personally have a little bit of pause when it comes to uh, maybe moving Tyler Smith away from left tackle when he's done well in two games so far. He's held up nicely. Absolutely, and exceeded my expectations. I mean, multiple times on Sunday afternoon that I was like, man, this is kind of surprising. I haven't heard had to you know look at a screen to see what you know Tyler Smith did if, if you know a lot of times you're doing it on a hold or a false start or who gave up a sack and that and he held his own so I agree with you from that standpoint but I think they're going to try and get their best five out there and I don't think they look at Matt Farniak as he's one of the best five and so I believe it'll be Jason Peters at left tackle kick Tyler Smith back into left guard and then you can leave him at left guard for the rest of the season because then you run into the also, all right, then what happens when Tyler, or Tyron Smith comes back later in the season if he does come back? Where does, where does that fit in? I just think Jason Peters makes a little bit more sense there. When I asked Mike McCarthy about uh, Jason Peters on the left and right side, he pointed out that he can play uh, multiple spots, but right now they're working him on the left side. And so I just... If that's the case, are you are you moving Jason Peters to left guard? He's played guard before. I just feel like at this stage in his career, he's probably better at left tackle. I mean, these are, let's be honest, these are good problems to have. It's better it's to absolutely. have guys that you have to try and figure out. But I just think with Farniak, he's been okay. I don't think he's been terrible or anything like that. I think they would like to have a better player at left guard. Connor McGovern could be back in another week or so too. I feel like Jason Peters, they're going to give him another week. Uh, before they bring him back, I don't think he's going to play this week. It, it, it's getting to that that you know level where he could. I mean, this was the plan all along. First two weeks, hey, you're not going to play. This is kind of like training camp for you. We're going to ramp you up, you know, get you in football shape, and then be ready to go possibly for week three against the Giants. But because Tyler Smith has played so well, I think it buys them an extra week on Jason Peters. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Look back to where we were two weeks ago, or let's just say the day before they signed Jason Peters. I don't think any of us could have even imagined that they would be in in this good of shape. I I just I thought I I thought that the offensive line would struggle a little more than they did, and there's still some things that need work. And I think you're right. And and Farniok's probably Farniok's probably the one where you're kind of like, okay, there's the weak link of the line. Let's you know get him out of there, but like. Considering where we were two weeks ago, I'm kind of amazed <laughs> that it's gone this far. And I, uh, they've put themselves in a, in a world now. And look, it's, it helps when you have a game where you have five penalties and you don't have ten penalties. And some of the pre-snap stuff goes away, right? That, then you're like, oh, well, I, I feel way better about things. Look, they could go and have another game on Monday night where they have a bunch of penalties and they just look discombobulated and they can't get anything going. And we're back to hitting the panic button. So, like, I, I'm not trying to, like, oh, one game fixes everything. 
But, you know, that's a pretty good defensive front that Cincinnati has. And it's a Cincinnati team that, that quite frankly, stopped your offense in the entire second half. I mean, is there any doubt to you that the Cowboys probably lose that game if Trayvon Diggs doesn't make that tackle on third and two? I think there's a decent chance. I feel that way. Same thing if the Maher kick misses. If they go to overtime, I feel just the way Cincinnati's offense was playing, I'd give them a little bit of an edge. Now, obviously, Cooper marched them down the field and got them in field goal range, so you could say he was playing pretty well. And he was playing pretty well in that drive when Dalton Schultz fumbled, too. So I've, I've seen some people talk about how they feel like he just played well in the first half. I don't know. I thought he played pretty well. Uh, Cooper rushed it throughout. So maybe not. I just... I think that the percentage would have been tilted maybe 60-40 in Cincinnati's favor if that game goes to overtime, just with how poorly they started and then to come back the way they did. But um, I guess, you know, that's just the way the NFL is, though. I mean, these games are just – it's crazy how close they are, and uh, it really doesn't matter what happens early. A lot of times these teams close the gap and and make it interesting late, but I would have hated to see that that go to overtime. What would you think about two games on Monday Night Football? Was that weird? It is for us because, well, that guys that are out at the press conferences because we get Mike McCarthy and then we get all three coordinators uh, Monday afternoon. And so you go from a lot of times you're up pretty late Sunday night and then you take care of things you have to do Monday morning, then you go to that, and then you're writing off of that, transcribing everything, writing off that. Before you know it, it's already 7, 8 o'clock, so... I wasn't really super focused on the first game, so it wasn't a big deal with me, and really neither of the games were that entertaining in terms of being close. So I don't think that they should be doing that. I, I don't know. There's a part of me that just likes, okay, one Monday night game's fine. You've already moved it to adding a Thursday night game. I don't think you need multiple Monday night games. You want multiple Thursday night games. Like, I don't know. You're in a good spot right now. Let's not overdo it. It's confusing to me because, you know, you had the whole thing where ESPN pays all this money for Joe uh, Buck and Troy Aikman. Plus, they're already doing the Manning cast sometimes. Uh, it was off last week. Manning cast will be back next week, of course. So it's like you kind of have this thing you're doing. Why do we have to do uh, – and I understand there was an article in The Athletic about it, uh, you know, uh, explaining what the NFL's thinking there. It's more of a, a test run type thing. But, I don't know, I, I didn't like it. I, I feel like – I need my one game, and if the one game is not a very good game, so be it. That's uh, how it, it happens every once in a while. Usually the NFL games are close. Um, uh, I feel like I didn't need to, to really know about the Titans and Bills going on last night. kind of takes away from the joy of a Sunday, but that's just well, me. The interesting part of all of this is that the NFL, any of these, these decisions are going to come down to the owners. And I would be interested to know how many owners – want to see a game on every single night in the NFL and how many owners think they should keep it the way that it is. Because I think most of them probably would love for it to be, no, we're going to have a game Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and then we'll have our whatever games are left on Sunday because we want we want people's eyes to be on the NFL at all times. As these are whatever, 30 of the top 40 or 50, whatever it was, most watched shows last year. And that's not like that was some outlier. It's been like that for years that some of the most of the top shows watched on TV nowadays are NFL games. But I think if you go a little too far with that, I don't know, you kind of water down your product, I guess, the way I feel about it. I, I agree. It's a, a little oversaturation could happen, and that's one of the things that they have, they have that's like, just, there's nothing they can compare to it. The NBA and NHL 82 games. Baseball, God knows, is way too long. 
Um, sometimes I'm, I'm just amazed at those guys who are working baseball, Levi Weaver being one of them. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys wow. still have. And they're like, can't do it when their team's bad. They're like, and especially bad left. baseball. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times you know where that's going very early in the season. Yeah. And then there's three or four more months of that. So I guess you just wouldn't travel as much, but still, I mean, it's still a lot of games to cover. Can you imagine how much bad baseball Eric Nadell has seen in his lifetime? I mean, just. Well, you just have. You have to be a lifer. Non-stop. You have to just you have to love baseball and be obsessed with it. There's no way you can do that job. Is just uh, I don't know. I wasn't really good at math, so I figured I would just call these baseball games. Like you have to be obsessed with it, or you just or because to be honest with you, you won't have the job very long. Because so, if you're not obsessed yeah. with it, you'll be you'll sound boring by the third week of the season. I think Eric does a good job of vacationing at his uh his uh, Colorado vacation home. He uh, gets out of town quite a bit. It's funny that you tenured. bring that up because from my standpoint, I I root for some of these teams because of these people that have been covering and, and working for these teams for so long because you can be the most unbiased journalist there is. There's no question that work is a lot easier. It's a lot more fun, a lot more interesting when you're winning. And that's from all perspectives. You know, I mean, there's people that call games on TV, on the radio, that write, that like writing game stories, that like writing features. Everything I'm talking about, it's all more fun, more interesting, uh, more enjoyable when you're covering a winning team. And so for a team like the Rangers, where they haven't had that success, and you can even say it to the with the Cowboys the last 26 years, you know, that, uh, you know, it, how steady business has been booming for the Cowboys. It, like I always say, it just makes you makes me wonder how crazy would it get if they actually did make a deep run. Yeah, for, and for me, it's like stay alive, be, be interesting, Get in the dance, and I realize you can like you know raise expectations based on not uh, you know going to a championship game in twenty something years. I understand that, but the last thing that I could ever want is that feeling that we had on Monday after opening night. You know, bad loss and quarterback out, and at the time it seemed like could be out for two or three months. You know, that is a terrible feeling. We waited this long. We get here. It's over. It's just, it's just awful, and I hate that. And luckily, they were able to squeeze one out in week two, and you get a little better news on Dak, and then everything is back and open, and the possibilities become endless. It's that whole thing, like, hope is a hope is a bit of a drug sometimes, and it's good to have it, man. Well, you brought up the Monday night game, so I'll just say this, too. It wasn't just, I mean, that's a, everything you said is a huge part of it. I would say that's 95, maybe 90% of it. But there's also that 10, 10 15% that is, also, that they didn't do very much in the offseason to improve the roster. So you're kind of sitting there like, how much do they care about even winning this? Whereas you see an Eagles team that has looked looked very good Monday night go out and make some of the moves that they've made to improve their team. And all of a sudden you can see, hey, that team's a problem. That team's going to be something to deal with. Like that's not, I mean, to me, they're clearly the favorite in the NFC East right now. Uh, the way that they've looked these first two weeks, particularly on offense, I mean, the way Jalen Hurts has played, if you don't think that they're a problem, well, you're just a Homer Cowboys fan that just has your your Cowboys glasses on because that that team is something to be taken serious for sure. I, I agree 100%. And it, it started for me with the draft day trade, bringing in A.J. Brown. Absolutely. Um, it was just like, it was such a... And, and, and then keep in mind, that comes right. after you've traded Amari Cooper for a fifth rounder, and I'm not here to rehash that. I'm not. Right. But like you see a move like that and you go, well, there's someone who's uh, pretty serious right now. And then you look at their draft and look at some of their offseason moves and some of the things they've done on defense and things like that. 
And you go, okay, we got to take them serious. So whether or not you believe in Jalen Hurts as a pocket passer, we know what he is and isn't, but what if he's made some vast improvements as a pocket passer as well? And that's something that's got to be accounted for. And then they have another year for to fit the offense better around him. You know, that's another yeah. big part of it. The other thing I was going to say when you said the Amari Cooper thing, it isn't just losing Amari for a fifth. It's the fact that the key guy you got to replace him that you got in the third round isn't even active for the first two games. Yeah. Because if I you draft that. a Michael Gallup or a Terrence Williams who, who who are playing right away that are having a factor right away, they're, they're getting in the mix, it's a little bit easier to, to be able to uh, handle that. But when that key guy that you added and the rest of the receiving core is weak, considering that you don't have Michael Gallup, at least for the first couple of weeks, that, that puts some salt in the wounds too. Now, now, that being said, on the other side, I will say I've always been a believer. I don't know if I have a, a, a defined date, but I think you don't really know what an NFL team is until around week five or six. Um, I, I think especially these days with teams – you know, no one's really playing in the preseason uh, that much. Uh, I mean, some I guess some are like Seattle's gonna. You know, Geno Smith's got to get his reps right. But <laughs> you get to week five, six, seven. I think that's when a team kind of uh, you kind of figure it out. And I'm not just like excusing slow starts. It's just sometimes for whatever reason it just takes things. We almost forget sometimes how insane and beautiful football is that eleven uh, people on offense in an orchestrated motion. And everyone goes in the right spots and crashing into each other. It's almost just amazing that it can happen. But timing is such an important part of the NFL game, especially with how much passing is happening. And you see that last week where, you know, Cooper Rush and Noah Brown have it. You know, the timing is there because they work together all the time. And maybe it's a little off in some other areas and things like that. But, like, I, I, I still think, like, it could just be, hey, man, the Lions are a really bad defense right now. So the Eagles are going to put up a lot of points. I still, I still think you have to take the Eagles extremely seriously. And clearly, if you don't have Dak, they're better than you and the clear favorites. I mean, I was watching that game last night, hoping the Vikings would would get a win. And sure enough, Kirk Cousins is like, hey, man, I'm going to throw it to the other team a lot. But, you know, the Eagles kind of, kind of screwed around. The Eagles didn't try to fully put that game away. You know, they were kind of sitting there with – you know, a 17-point lead, but here's a fumble, and here's an interception. You can have the ball back here, and the Vikings can never punch it in. And that Eagles defense probably deserves a little bit of credit, too. So there's a there's some things there with the Eagles that that do um, – I mean, these are all things we talked about, but – Yeah, I just – since 2017, I I felt like the Cowboys were the clear-cut better team in the NFC. So yeah. I'm not saying that they were going to win it every year. But this Eagles team – as long as they stay healthy, this is the best Eagles team since they went to the Super Bowl. And they, they're going to be a handful. I don't care. It's not even really to me about yeah. the Vikings and Lions as much as just how the things that were that have been clicking for them, uh, those just are going to pose a problem for a lot of teams. I don't, I'm not saying that they're going to go to the Super Bowl or that they're going to you know win 13 games or something like that. I'm, I'm just telling you, they're way more of a problem than they've been for a while. And I would rather have Goddard... Um, uh, AJ Brown and Devonte Smith than Schultz, Lamb, and Gallup. Right? Like, how big? How big of a difference is that gap? Does it make up the difference of maybe rather ha- would rather have Dak than Jalen Hurts? Well, the key, the key will have to be how does Hurts look when you keep him in the pocket? Because a team like the Cowboys are so talented up front, and they have an outstanding defensive play caller 
that will adjust his game plan and won't be doing the same thing against them that they did against Tom Brady and Joe Burrow. So it'll be interesting to see the chess match there. But Jalen Hurts is obviously going to have to show in games where teams are going to make him just win from the pocket, and he's going to have to show that. But, I mean, from what I saw these first two weeks, he looks like he's improved. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, let's talk about the Giants for a second, because that's who we have this week, Monday night. Sorry, Commanders, just not going to spend a lot of time on you right now. Um, <laughs> you know, be be better, and we will talk about you. Actually, we have you in week four, so we'll, we'll, we'll handle you then. Um, you look at the Giants, and Brian Dable comes in as the head coach, and that's great. Hey, it's the 20th head coach in Giants history. Um, they get off to a 2-0 start, though. Uh, Saquon Barkley absolutely tore up the Tennessee Titans, who look so bad right now. Um, and then they they uh, squeak one out in a really terrible game uh, over the Panthers, nineteen to sixteen, on Sunday to go two and zero. Oh. I, I I can't really. Um, I, I really it's kind of amazing to me when I think about the Giants, and it's like oh. The, it is another year of Daniel Jones. And on one hand, it feels like they just drafted him. And on another hand, it feels like he's been the quarterback there for a long time. What I've seen, and I am watching off red zone so far, and I've not watched Giants tape or anything like that yet. What I've seen from watching Daniel Jones, it's that he's not very good. I saw him in this game last week. There's a throw where Sterling Shepard is standing wide open in the end zone. And he just misses him just really badly. And then uh, at the end of the first half, there was a, there was a play too, where he just decided he's going to throw it to Carolina, and they had a pick six. Look, you if you really think uh, this was the game to win, right? Uh, of all these games without Dak, I'm saying that because Daniel Jones is the quarterback, and that's that's as honest as I can be. And I'm I'm trying not to be mean to the guy. He's not very good, and I'm kind of surprised they're still running that out there. I mean, I think there's a good segment of Giants fans who are happy to be 2-0 and or are just drunk off that. And I think there's another portion of Giants fans who are being very realistic and they're like, you know what? Maybe we should run Tyrod Taylor out there. Not that that's much better, but I 
I know that that's a problem of contention for the Giants because Daniel Jones is just really bad. Well, and it reflects in Kenny Galladay. Big, he's a big part of their offseason acquisitions a couple years ago. He's played in two games. He has two receptions on two targets. Another guy that was supposed to be a big part of the offense, Kadarius Tony. He's got two carries for 23 yards and... Has he caught a pass? He's had one yeah, good game in his career, and it was against the Cowboys last year, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Saquon Barkley is an absolute monster, and he looks like he's healthy. He's obviously leading the league in rushing, 236 yards. So that'll be the game plan there, which makes me wonder if we might see Micah play a little bit more traditional linebacker in this game because I think it will be about shutting down Saquon Barkley. If they can do that, they're going to be in great shape. On the other side of the ball, though, is they might get Kayvon Thibodeau back. Uh, you know, he was been out since that knee injury – I don't know if he's going to play for sure Monday night, but he's obviously their their top draft pick. He was the guy that uh, was number one on the Cowboys board that Kent and I were able to uh, kind of break down. So yep. this would be a huge get if, they, if they're able to get him back. And again, I think it would be more like a Michael Gallup type situation where he'd probably be on some type of a pitch count. But this is an elite pass rusher in, in college that was obviously a top five pick, number one guy on the, on the Cowboys board. So that's somebody you'd have to worry about there. Ultimately, though, I think Brian Dable is a big part of why this team is a lot better. I just think that he's the he just is the right head coach for this team for what they need. And and if he can't fix Daniel Jones, then I think that or have Daniel Jones be successful, then they'll go in another direction with a a guy that's had some success with offenses. So I don't know. He gives them a lot of credibility, a lot more than than the last coach, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it sounds like, just from reading a few things, that they're like, okay, Kenny Galladay, if you're mad, uh, we don't care that we've paid you for it 72. Um, we're, we're going with Richie James, and we're going to play David Sills, and we're going to count on Sterling Shepard. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's, oh, it's different Stafford. than the Giants have ever, ever been. You know, the Giants Ma- are usually like, we got a bad contract, I go play through it. I think of the, yeah. the years of running Eric Flowers out there, you know, at tackle. Like, oh, Matthew, Matthew Stafford made Kenny Galladay. Made him. Yeah. He really, I mean, seriously, Stafford, almost every every receiver I can think of that he's played with has had their best years with Matthew Stafford. Calvin Johnson, Cooper Cobb, Nate Burleson, Golden Tate, Kenny Galladay. I mean, just go down the list. Who else was with Galladay at wide receiver in Detroit? Was it Golden Tate? I think it was Golden Tate and... Uh, someone else though, right? Am I forgetting yeah. someone? Yeah. Yeah, there is. I can't think of it right now, but uh, I just knew when he got that big lines wide receivers. <laughs> when he got that big deal, there was a way. There, there was a part of me that kind of looked at it as now. Don't get me wrong. I think Kenny Galladay is a better player, but it kind of reminded me of when, uh, you know, all of a sudden Jacksonville gave all that money to. Uh, now I'm drawing a blank. Now, from the Cowboys wide receiver that Romo just totally went off. Laurent Robinson. Laurent no. Robinson. Yeah, oh. I almost called him Lance Lenore, but yeah, Laurent Robinson. <laughs> yeah. He had that yeah. one year, and you're just kind of like. Is that really what he is, or did Romo kind of, you know, ha- allow him to be better than he probably was, and, and that ended up being the case? But yeah, I've always thought that. Wow. I thought Kenny Galladay is a good player, but playing with Stafford, I think, made him look a little bit better than what he was. Do you, does Does Andy Jones and T.J. Jones ring a bell from the 2018 Detroit Lions? T.J. Jones does, but not. Andy I don't Jones, know who no. those guys are. It's Kenny Galladay's Andy, teammates. Andy Andy Jones, I think, was with the Cowboys for a training camp or something. Yeah, you're right. That you're right. right. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I'm trying to think of those. Uh, I feel dumb doing this. Uh, Danny Amendola, right Travis Fulham. No, not Travis Fulham. Uh, 
so this is, would have been the 2020 Giants, maybe? It's not, maybe? I'm thinking 2019 uh, line. 2020 line? Yeah. It, it's basically it's basically Golden Tate and Marvin Jones. Those are the other guys. Yeah, Marvin there. Jones. Marvin Jones yeah. is the other name I'm looking for. Thank you. There we go. That's all. That's Mohamed all. Yeah. Sanu, Jamal Agnew, Danny Mandola. Those are the other I guys. I mean, these, yeah. this just sounds like a Super Bowl roster. Keep going. Oh, yeah. Right <laughs> that's the it's Detroit Lions we've come to know and love. But, but for the Giants, like, I, I, it is interesting – they're they're an organization that's always kind of been like okay we're keeping things in house family you know <laughs> a very fast and the furious model here family um, but now it's like hey Dable's <laughs> here bro we we got rid of Gettleman who was family like uh, hey we're doing things my family and and I don't care like they're like Kenny Galladay's not even my guy why would I even force him on the field if he's going to be a jerk right now he's not going to play all right. And hey, so far so good. It helps when you play a Titans team who is struggling. Um, who I do will think will get it together, but they're struggling. Or the Joe name? I couldn't and care less about this game. Sorry. I think I was suggesting that the Cowboys sign Joe Namath to come play quarterback after Dak got hurt. And I take it back. Cooper, you two and zero. Oh, Namath. Yeah, he's struggling. Uh, hey, by the way. No, no, I'll stay on the chest. I got to save something, though, that I want to ask you about okay. something that someone said. So, off the air the or on th- the air? On. We'll do oh, it on the air. Okay. Okay. So, I love when uh, when uh, Kayvon Thibodeau does something well or or something bad because everyone uh, refers to him as KT on Twitter. So, I like to see those mm. things. And I go, oh, yeah, look what I did. Or, or ow, my knee hurts. But uh, Aziz Oljilari is another name. And that was a guy who we kind of talked about a, a little bit as a, a, a potential cowboy in the, I guess that would have been the C.D. Lamb draft. Kind of mm, like years. Sounds right. I lost. COVID I think it was the Micah draft, wasn't it? Yeah. No. That was the Micah draft, Kent. You genius, hot dog. Hey, since You're we're right. jumping all over the place, one thing on Micah, yeah. real quick. Like, how lucky did the Cowboys get that one? Penn State didn't feature him more as an edge rusher. I think he had like five and a half or six sacks was the most he had in, in, in that second season he was there. And then because of COVID, I don't know, I just think about that sometimes. Like there's no reason that he should have fell out of the top five, let alone fall to the Cowboys outside the top 10. And I just keep going back to because they did have Jason Oway at Penn State. And so that factored into, I just thought of this day because Jason Oway actually leads. He has the most, uh, I think, uh, pass rushing snaps this year in the NFL. I was just looking at a true media website breakdown of pass rushing as I was writing a story about Micah. And I was just kind of like, how did they just not in the big 10, just put him at edge rusher and let him go. And if they do, he probably gets 15 sacks and there's no way he goes outside the top 10. So kind of the way they used him probably helped the Cowboys get him because it's not like all of a sudden they were like, Oh, I didn't realize he was this fast. Oh, I didn't realize he was this strong. Oh, I didn't realize he had these spin moves. Like, obviously he did. Now, there could have been some immaturity things that teams were worried about. But, like, when has elite talent been overlooked because of maturity issues? Like, a lot of times teams are like, yeah, we'll just figure that out. Like, for him to fall outside the top 10 is just so bizarre to me. Yeah, I'm a big believer in Will McClay and how the way the Cowboys operate. Like, the scouts get, get a lot of say and all that stuff. But let's say they're like, well, you know what? It was a COVID year. Let's bring Mike Nolan back at defensive coordinator, which would have never reasonably happened, right? But let's say that did. Like, oh, we're going to try it again. I don't know. Like, I Dan Quinn's imagination 
to me, it was a big part in them drafting Micah Parsons. Because okay, let me ask you, you this because you, you're an expert in this area, so I'm glad you went this direction. Don't you feel like Mike would have eventually, Mike, sorry, McCarthy would have eventually done that because he did coach Clay Matthews? Yeah, like no, basically no, been like, hey, Nolan, let's be no, defense needed so much downhill. help after Nolan. They would have drafted Micah probably regardless of who the defensive coordinator was if he was but, sitting there. Yeah, and I think I think that. Oh, I th- I'm not mad. I thought you meant KT if they kept Nolan at, oh, with oh, it, yeah. and as a defensive coordinator, like if he wouldn't have utilized him the right way. I'm sorry, that's yeah. what I thought you meant. My bad. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe I just I've always maybe unfairly I've always thought that we should give Dan Quinn credit for the imagination. Sure. Uh, of oh, yeah. how to use Mike. Oh, yeah. Because that was not on tape. <laughs> you know, that yeah. was just not how he was. And, and you're right. Maybe he would have been deployed differently uh, if it wasn't for the COVID year. And all. I'll tell you, I, man. I understand that. If you ask Micah, though, you know who he gives a lot of credit to? Is Lyle Collins. And I don't mean because of what how they played against him the other day. I meant last yeah. year. Like, he when he talks about him, he loves bringing up how – Lyle broke down all these different pass rush moves that Von Miller would do. And he's like, you have the athletic ability to do these things. Try this. Don't just do this all the time. Switch it up. Mix this in there and stuff like that. And Micah swears by it. He's like, I wasn't doing any of that stuff before Lyle told me. So it is wow. interesting how much he might have helped as well there. So you never know. He yeah, came back there. to bite him. I mean, and you yeah. look at look at the moves he put on Lyle. I mean, whether it's the false start, whether it's the spins, I'm not even talking about the sacks. I mean, those were obviously impressive, but there were a lot of pressures he got on Lyle that, I mean, those are those are some film reels that Lyle probably doesn't want to watch. Completely it's robbed him. It's amazing how advanced he is. I mean, the strength, clear. The speed, clear. The first step, clear. The way he uses his hand and leverages his body, like all that stuff is like, it's advanced. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. You get this like very little at Penn State. You were always projecting that. So I'm really surprised. Right. I'm really surprised how when he's been out on the perimeter on a quick pass, whether it be Tom Brady or Joe Burrow, how they've tried, how they've just they were able to get it around him or over the top of him, and he's been so close. It just seems like such a dangerous throw to make with him because, yes, that's the only thing that's been missing from him these first 18 games of his career is him getting an interception, but it's coming. I mean, oh, you keep coming. you keep tempting him on that edge like that. He's going to catch one of those, and if he catches one of those, it's six. Yeah, the closest thing I've seen to it, it's a little different. Is uh, and it, it seems like it it went fast for him, and not that he's done, but it's Khalil Mack in his prime. Mm-hmm. A little, little bit of everything we can do there. It's I think Micah can do more. So this is I mean it's it's getting really silly. And keep in mind, like if the Panthers don't take J.C. Horn there. You know, AJ Terrell, um, AJ Terrell, uh, uh, Patrick uh, Sertan. Patrick Sertan. Sorry, AJ yep. Terrell. What am I talking about? Patrick Sertan. We all, we knew that the Cowboys liked him. And maybe they do go cornerback there. Uh, but, no, there's no maybe. that They would have. 100%. That's yeah. what they were doing. So, Micah, uh, whew, yeah, you get lucky sometimes, right? Absolutely. Uh, so, but uh, but another thing I was going to uh, mention, we talked about Aziz uh, Ojolari is there. Like, if he comes back with Kwan Thibodeau, the Giants have a little bit of a pass rush. They had no pass rush against the Panthers on Sunday, and Baker was clean and still couldn't do anything because the Panthers have a pretty bad offense. But uh, yeah, you have that. It's a very winnable game. I think we all understand that. Uh, I I feel very confident that they can go. Like I think it's going to be a close, like one score game. But I feel very confident in some of the things the Cowboys did. Now, still not using. 
Zeke and Tony Pollard at the same time. That's something that I feel like gets thrown out casually in conversation sometimes. It just doesn't ever happen. Uh, but I would like to see that a little more. But I thought you guys, uh, you and Saad and, and Kent talking after the game the other night, uh, and I forgot who made the, the initial point, and I'm sure you guys all agreed. Just using Tony Pollard like a running back instead of using him like some pawn in this wild chess game, just treat him like a runner, then you're fine. And I know that the, we always talk about the pass protection issues, but that's what you saw in that game is how while Zeke is kind of the trusty, reliable guy at this point who can get you a few yards and you know he's going to get a run to the right spot and you know he's going to hit his blocks, Tony Pollard's the one who can change the game in the blink of an eye and just keep giving them both carries. I'm not, uh, you know, sometimes we do this podcast and it upsets, uh, you know, a few, some listeners when I when I say that, like, hey, we had to have Tony Pollard. Hey, just give them both the ball. Maybe give Tony Pollard the ball more. Yes, I'm calling for that. But, like, just keep giving them both the ball because it, it, the disparity has always been Zeke a lot, Tony a little. You get that close to even, and I think you see what you saw the other night because Tony Pollard's the one who can break the game open. Also, want to mention Leonard Williams. Uh, he suffered yeah. a knee injury in the game uh, the other day for the Giants, so he's not going to play. And this is a guy that, yeah, he made a Pro Bowl in 2016. It's not like he's a perennial Pro Bowl or anything like that, but he's their best defensive lineman. I mean, he's a guy that, uh, you know, top five. No, he's sixth overall pick in 2015 by the Jets. I mean, the, the Giants just signed him to a contract uh, last March. Not this March, but March 2021. Three years, $63 million with $22.5 million guaranteed. I mean, he's obviously a key piece for their team. He won't be in this game either, so... Uh, I don't think the Cowboys are going to have as much problems on offense as they did, let's say, week one and even in the second half last week. But I think that they'll be able to score here. It'll be about shutting down Saquon Barkley and, and that Giants offense. But obviously Vegas sees it differently because the Giants are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, home, uh, you know, maybe you get the, the the standard Vegas three points for being at home. Uh, and by the way, crowd uh, will be loud and into it. They're still, uh, obviously, maybe a little optimistic at 2-0. and Yeah. Uh, a new era with Brian Dable. This will be a big test for the offensive line in terms of communication. And that's for something sure. that makes me highly nervous. Although I feel like we should give the offensive line the benefit of the doubt after playing pretty well on Sunday. At least I, and I don't know if that was just Cincinnati uh, failing to get a lot of pressure on or what that was, but I thought the Cowboys offensive line was really good on Sunday. So maybe give him a little credit, but I'm also highly nervous about what could happen. Although maybe I shouldn't be when you look at all the guys who you know, could be missing. I guess tell me if Thibodeau and Ojulari and Leonard Williams are playing and maybe I'll change my right. mind. But, you know, crowd noise and all that stuff, that makes you a little nervous. But It is crazy how you go from, I think it was five penalties on the offensive line to none. They didn't have any yeah. against, against the... Uh, uh, Bengals. So that that surprised me because I thought that there'd at least be one false start. And there was a false start, but it ended up being on uh, Simi Fajoko. Yeah, I'm the jerk who's like, uh, was kind of mocking Zeke's comments about, now we just got to commit to the run. And I was like, if you commit to the run, then you're committing to first and 20 because there's going to be a holding. There's going to be so many right. penalties. And you've set yourself back. We can't commit to the run. And that still um, could happen from team to team. It's going to be different. There's going to be some teams that are shutting down the run. Are you going to stay committed to it, even though you're only getting a yard, two yards? Like, 
You know, you, can you get to the perimeter and get some of the bigger runs that, like, one of the one that we saw Zeke get on Sunday? Or I know that it was counted as a pitch or whatever, but the Tony the Tony Pollard big run up the Cowboys sideline that he nearly scored on. You know, can you get to the perimeter like that? If so, uh, they're going to have a lot of success. I, I mean, I think that's where they they've been able to have their most success uh, with these running backs, and also the fact that. I do think the strength of this offensive line is their run blocking. So as long as they can get something in the run game, that will definitely benefit Cooper Rush. But if this offensive line and Cooper Rush have to just sit back there and he's got to be in the gun throwing all that, just that's bad news. Well, and the other thing is like, it can also change by ref crew, right? Yeah. Like I've seen, we've seen that a little bit, like just some, some crews are just like a little more flag happy. I know that I think the, the, um, the week three assignments are out and, uh, you know, the classic Land Clark game. You know, you don't see a lot of Land Clark games. It's a Land Clark game. And I know that's what fans care about. I know that's what they're really into is which ref crew is going to be doing the game. You're absolutely right, though. It does factor. I mean, from week to week, there's stuff that some crews call and some crews don't even think about calling that same thing. So, no, it is a factor. There's no question. Well, the Land Clark crew, I can tell you, is uh, – Going to be big Monday night. Look, it's never too big for Land Clark and his crew, John. That's good. That's good. It's going to be a big one. New York football giants, Dallas Cowboys. You kidding me? By the way, Land Clark in his free time is a chief building official. Um, Good for him. But keep keep in mind, there's a guy from Texas Christian, uh, um, uh, the back judge, Greg Meyer. He's a banker in his free time, but he's a TCU guy. So maybe get a little hometown... Ooh. Sounds like TCU, a homer. TCU, please. TCU, sorry. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't see any New York guys on this crew, at least, as I'm looking at it very closely. Um, one guy's a carpenter. Um, so, uh, yeah. We got an oil and gas guy. Uh, wow. Oh, that's the replay official. Yeah. It's good stuff there. What if he works for a you competitive company with Jerry's? I mean, you can't like that. Ooh, Yeah. But we need to get a guy who works with blockchain com. Um, we certainly do. Okay, question: the punt hitting the building. I mean, the board. This it happened again. Building. Am I am I wrong? The board I meant the punt. Am I wrong? The Windstar board that they, now that that's covered and has Windstar on it. Yeah. That's like was there like that used to be open, right? No, there was something there. It just didn't have an ad underneath it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I didn't know, like, it just feels weird that it happened twice when it hasn't happened. No, that I can much tell you why I think it's years. happening twice. John Fossil wouldn't confirm this to me, but I believe it's happening twice because I believe that they're aiming for it. Because they don't want to hit it, but they want to get it close because it throws off the returner. Yeah, I'm sorry, Brian Anger is just too talented for me to be like, "Oops, Brian, it just it happened." And this is the stadium that he punts in all the time. Come on, no, stop. He's one of the best punters in the league. Let's, not to let's say this is like the the authority of the century, but Ryan Switzer, former Cowboys uh, receiver, punt returner, said that same thing when the uh, one happened the other weekend. He said it's disorienting as hell to try to catch punts in that stadium because of that scoreboard. I've just seen too many practices at the at the Star inside the Ford Center, and they're and they're constantly one punt after another putting it as close to the rafters as possible in there mm-hmm. and and these guys are super talented I, I, there's just no way that i mean this is three games in a row now that it's hit i mean because i know they ruled that it didn't hit but everybody that was there both sides thought it hit so that's three games in a row this game last game and then against san francisco in the in the, in the wild card game 
Um, so, um, and this is after it like didn't happen for several seasons in a row. I'm sorry, you just cannot convince me that they're not. How genius is Jerry though for thinking to put an ad on that thing? You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's real estate that Brian doesn't have an ad. Throw a wind star on that boy. <laughs> maybe told Brian Hanger, hey man, hey, go ahead and hit that thing. We got sponsorship now. It's gotten <laughs> to the point though for like TV crews covering the game. It's like every punt, you have to have a guy following the ball on every punt to where see if it hits the thing because it, last week they like didn't have an angle. They're like, oh, we, yeah. we just don't have it. We don't know if it hit or not. And <laughs> I just want to say, for it. thank God they have that ad because I was worried about if Jerry was making enough money. And so I'm glad that he was able to get some ad space there and he can make a little extra money. That That's good, man, because I was worried about him. I am too, man. I haven't yeah. been to feed all these people. Finally. Um, I want to ask you a McCarthy question real quick before we do our game picks and then close out with a little Jason Garrett talk. What did you think about his comments when he was asked about, you know, taking in the victory and did he have a little moment? And he, go, he, he basically uh, went into, oh, they're going to need to be a little more dramatic for you guys. And he said the line that to me, it just, it told me that everything is real. Everything that we've thought is real. Or I shouldn't say we've thought. I'll just say I've thought. I shouldn't speak for everyone. When he said, sometimes I don't know if I fit around here or if if I fit in around here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that's like the realest thing he's ever said. Well, he says stuff like that. Maybe not always on a podium on the record, but... Well, believe me, wink, that's wink. been, yeah, I kind of, I've gotten that. But it's also the Dallas Cowboys, and if you win with the Dallas Cowboys, it, all of the other extras that come with it are so worth it. But, no, I just don't think that's his personality. I'll give you a great example of, of, of something that happened in the game that uh, made me think about that. One, his reaction to the to the field goal going through. Now, they NFL did put out some video today where it showed him with a little bit more of a reaction, but by the time the cameras panned back to him on the CBS thing, I thought he would be flipping out, and he was pretty calm as he went to go handshake. That was one that stood out to me. And then also the uh, when Trayvon Diggs gets that tackle, he gets it right in front of Mike, and Mike is just like doesn't even hesitate, turns, calls the timeout. Like I feel like there's quite a few coaches, newer coaches in the league, that might be fist pumping or try, trying to high five to play or something like that. Like that's not Mike McCarthy at all. That's not his style. He's more of a calming guy than trying to be. Hey, I'm one of the guys, you know, let me go throw around the football and do drills with you guys like some other coaches do. Um, so I just think that's his personality. I don't think he's trying to be somebody he's not. He was you mean more McCarthy like and Dak don't have a target competition after practice? You know, I wasn't even, that's an interesting point. I, that you probably did sound like a Garrett. That? <laughs> that, like probably a did sound, that probably did sound like a Garrett shot that I was making, but I actually wasn't. I was. I saw a video recently of, uh, Pete Carroll throwing a football in practice. So that's what I was thinking of. But no, oh, Jason okay. Garrett obviously yeah, plays. Yeah. No, Mike wouldn't be throwing a football. He would be hitting up one of the sleds or something like that, you know, with one of the defensive linemen showing them a technique Ooh, or something that, that how to do. You know, I'm just saying that's what Dan Quinn would be doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Mike McCarthy never played quarterback, you know, so he wouldn't be doing those type of things. Yeah, I don't point. see as much. I think he'd be more of in the trenches type guy, but yeah, he's not doing that. Mike was more uh intense um, kind of, I don't want to say, I'm trying to find the right word. It's not distracted either. But when he was calling plays in Green Bay, he was more right into it. Now, he was usually up a ref's ass, you know. Sure. Uh, and we like saw that. some of that on Sunday. We saw some of that on Sunday. He was definitely yeah. getting on, on, on some, some of that, some of that type yeah. of stuff. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, 
I, I, I just thought I thought it was funny. I don't know if I've never really heard him say that uh, publicly like that. Maybe he's just kind of done that off to the side and things like that. Uh, let's do game picks. I have a text from Saad Youssef. Okay. Who um, uh, had some other duties tonight. But Saad is giving us a Giants 20 to 17. Giants 20 to 17. Um, I'll tell you, I, I'm going to go next, and, and I'm picking the Cowboys to win this game. And maybe I'm just drunk on everything that happened Sunday and how things went down. But I I, I feel like you you have a, a better roster by a wide margin. Um, and, you know, maybe Saquon goes off, but I, I'm a big believer in this defense. And it's so hard for me to even comprehend what's happening with Micah Parsons because it doesn't happen very often in this league. But when a defensive player single-handedly keeps you in every single game, like one guy, not a lot of people have had that. And you may have to go back to Lawrence Taylor, the last defensive player to win MVP. And I know he gets compared to him a lot and things like that. But, you know, even those great teams, the Cowboys in the 90s that had good defenses, you couldn't go – well, just one player keeps you in the game. Yeah, no, no one throws it to Deion Sanders' side. But this is a, a different type of of dominant. And, you know, I know Rams uh, fans can maybe say some stuff about Aaron Donald and things like that. But it's just so hard to comprehend when you have a singular defensive player keep you in any game, no matter if you have your starting quarterback or not. Big believer in that. Not a believer at all in Daniel Jones. Cowboys 23, Giants 16. Kent. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm feeling Dallas in this one. I think the defense is going to be nasty again. Give me Cowboys 17, Giants 14. Yes, sir. And Father John. I'm going to go Cowboys 21, Giants 20. Something stood out to me that you said earlier, and that was about how you think it'll be pretty loud Met life considering they're 2-0, and Brian Dable and all that, I can promise you it will not be louder than it was in Minnesota on that Sunday night. I do not think that'll affect Cooper Rush, who did spend about two months, maybe three, as a New York Giant in 2020. Yeah. Um, I think he'll be fine. I think he's got some mojo going, some good vibes. I think the offense will be fine. I don't think it's going to score a ton, but I, maybe maybe 20 points seems about right. Maybe they win 2017, but I'll go 21-20. I think that all week they're gonna the defense is gonna be focused on Saquon Barkley, and I think if you shut down Saquon Barkley, you shut down this Giants team, and so that's why I'm gonna go with the Cowboys. All right, three of us pick Cowboys, one picks the Giants. That's sad. Uh, you said something I meant to get to this in the first thirty minutes of the podcast, but I, I apologize. We should talk about a Dak timeline real quick. Oh, yeah, like a, a super. Uh, it's hard, I mean, it's hard to know. Super realistic is, but I was just thinking like when you pull off that win. Well, there's the two games you wanted to win while Dak was out. You know, we kind of set that as a number. Like, oh, if they could just win two, uh, you know, they could keep it keep it alive. But now it seems that they're going to get him back, you know, if you're to believe the Joneses, <laughs> they're going to get him back way earlier than we thought. Um, so what are you thinking there? I think it's funny that Steven has actually surpassed Jerry in the optimism on this. Because Jerry yeah. would say four weeks. Steven, he said the other day, I think the very best return date would be Washington week four. I'm just, I heard that. I was just, what? We're sitting here thinking when this originally happened, this is after the bye week, you know, like week 10 or whatever. I think it's week 10, whatever, against Green Bay. 
and then you get a good good return on the surgery, hearing some good things, swelling's down, and maybe it's only going to be four or five weeks. And then Steven says that he could be back possibly by week four or the Rams week five. And I was just, Mike McCarthy is certainly trying to tamper all that down because of the fact that he's like, Zach still has stitches in his hand. Let's get those out before we start figuring out where this is at. My big thing on all of this is the NFL is just so competitive. There just aren't, it's not like bringing back Dak Prescott in college at Mississippi State and they're about to play Norfolk State. There just aren't big windows in the NFL very often. I understand if you saw that Tua throw to, <laughs> to Tyreek Hill on Sunday. Maybe you do think there are. But with, generally speaking, there aren't huge windows like that. So it's going to be about throwing in tight windows, tight spirals, a lot of zip on the ball. Are you gonna, when are you going to be able to do that? So even if he's gripping a football pretty well in another week or two is he able to complete all the throws that he normally can compete complete and i feel like if cooper rush is keeping them afloat why not give dak an extra week to to kind of think get things back you know kind of get him in more of a rhythm make sure that he's as healed as he possibly can be as opposed to rushing him back as as long as they can kind of stay afloat i don't get the sense in, in, in trying to get him out there too soon so we'll see um, but this is just an injury. The thumb is the most important hand, uh, our most important finger on that throwing hand. And until that is completely healed and he's throwing like he was before, I just don't think it's smart to rush him back out there. So week four or five seems very ambitious. I think all along I've been saying that they'd be in good shape for, I believe the Philly game would be week six. I don't have the schedule right in front of me right now. I believe yes, that's week, week six. six. I think that's where you target. That's your most important game. Really, those two Philly games, as far as I'm concerned, are the their two most important games in the entire season. So I would be I would be targeting that more so than rushing them back to play week four or five. Yeah, and there's some things that happen after that Philly game too. Like, you know, let's see what happens these next two weeks. Very winnable games, Giants and Washington uh, back at home in week four. Um, and then like after that Philly game in week six, though, you get Detroit and Chicago – Neither team, you would say, is very good. And then you get a bye week, and you got a couple tough ones. You got to go on the road to Green Bay and Minnesota. But you also have uh, a large portion of the AFC South kind of waiting for you. Um, week 13 through 15, I mean, it's Colts who are looking bad right now, although I do think they'll get it together, although it wouldn't be crazy to see them be 0-2-1 if they lost to the Chiefs this week. And you got like, Houston and Jacksonville. Like, those are very winnable games down the road as well. So you – you can kind of start imagining a world where you can kind of start chalking up a couple of wins, although it's stupid to do in the NFL anyways. But I, I, I agree with you. I, I do think it's uh, – I, I that there are times when I feel for Mike McCarthy and there are times when I don't at all. I'm, I'm actually bewildered that he's allowed to be a head coach sometimes. But there are other times where I'm like, man, this poor guy is having to deal with – ownership throwing out there that the guy who doesn't have a thumb right now is going to be back soon. And that's not fair to Dak either, to be honest with you. You know, so like, I kind of feel bad when McCarthy has to do that routine, but he has to because the Joneses do their routine and that's the Yeah, the Joneses are selling optimism to a fan base. Mike McCarthy is trying to come up with the best strategy to win football games. Now, let's talk about the last head coach for a second. Uh, have you caught any of Jason Garrett's work on NBC so far this year? I have. Uh, my brother Joel Machota is a diehard Irish fan. I mean, Rudy is on repeat in his house. So 
never misses a game. So I find myself watching the Irish quite a bit. And I've seen a lot of Jason Garrett's broadcast these uh, first couple of games. And I will tell you the exact same thing I told him. You know, covering the Cowboys, especially on Twitter, you get to see a lot of folks out there who are Cowboys, Yankees, Lakers fans, all the big brands. And so I said to him, especially because Notre Dame is having a struggling start to their season, that I can guarantee you there's a lot of Cowboys slash Notre Dame fans out there because they're both huge brands. And for those Cowboys fans that have to watch the Irish play some of their worst football of almost the last decade and hear Jason Garrett call it, they can't be that thrilled about that situation. So not a great start for Jason in terms of the way Notre Dame's been playing. He would have been better off if he was covering the yeah. team last year or a couple years ago. Uh, but he's he's been okay. Um He's following a pretty good crew. I mean, they've they've had a good run for a while there with you know the Mike Tirico crews and some of those uh, were, you know, they were more seasoned. Uh, where yeah. with with Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett, this is a new new crew, and you know Notre Dame has a very older traditional fan base. So uh, I'm sure they're not thrilled. But I will say this as well: if you go on Twitter and you're watching a game, go ahead and search whoever is calling the game's name, and whatever comes up on Twitter, I promise you, will be very negative. So. I guess yeah. you know it is what it is. It's it's going to be hard to get a lot of praise when you're when you're calling games like that, especially when the team that you're calling those games for uh, isn't playing well. He got a little bit of praise during like some of those USFL broadcasts and stuff, but I think that's where fans are just kind of like they don't care as much, right? So like yeah, they don't. don't. Notre Dame is just such a big brand. Yeah, that and for them to be have their own N- NBC deal, they're expecting it to be, you know. Right up there with those big time NFL broadcasts, you know the the Joe Bucks and Troy Aikmans, and uh, you know I'm drawing a blank on the on the Fox uh, uh, college football one. It's Gus Johnson and uh, Gus and Clat. Yeah, you know they're expecting more. Like, I mean, heck, like I said, they had Mike Tirico. To me, I think Mike Mike Tirico is arguably the best, maybe the best at doing his job. So when you lose a guy like that, pretty much unless you're getting I don't know L Michaels you're going to be taking a step down, you know? I have been weirded out. The Thursday night thing, it's only one game, but the Thursday night with Herbie didn't yeah. feel right to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I did enjoy, I always enjoy Al Michaels. I think Al Michaels is awesome, but it Here, just I got one strange. for you that you guys, you guys will enjoy since we're on this topic. Have you guys heard any of the Robert Griffin III games that he's called? He loves he's throwing amazing. sexual references, and they're super awkward and weird. Um, and they do well for the Twitter crew, but again, you're calling these games. There just has to be a lot of people listening to him being like, what did he just say? And I, I get it that some people are going to laugh at it, but I, I just weigh the, how many people are laughing and thinking that's awesome. And how many people are like, mute the TV now immediately. This is terrible. Since we, uh, since we talked over you earlier, Washington fans, this is your Washington commanders content. I just want you to realize I think RG3 has totally redeemed himself because he, to me, was probably the corniest guy on earth. He had it all taken away from him with the knee, and that's probably not great. Uh, you don't that. think that these jokes that he's saying are corny? Oh, no, no, no. I absolutely do, but okay, he's found okay. a lane. He okay, is a guy. You. <laughs> you have to keep in mind, John, when you talk about this, you have to keep in mind that this is a guy 
who reportedly in 2014 was on a practice field by himself while the rest of the team is practicing, and the reporter said that he was punting a ball back and forth on a practice field by himself and just chasing the ball. Okay. And then he would just punt it again. Operation patience. While the, while the rest of the team is on the actual practice field going through stuff, he was by himself looking like a lost puppy dog. Okay, so I don't he, know if I equate that to the corny dad jokes, but they are terrible. I'm sorry. Premature snapulation. The idea he that you even that? wrote that down or said anything and then decided. <laughs> oh and here, Kent, 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 it's way better why? than that. It, hey, it's way better than that. You want to know why? Because it's not like he just sneaks it in one time. He says it and then uses it three other times in the broadcast. Like, just in case anybody didn't hear this one. And I'm just yeah, what? he does. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, no, no. It, it's terrible, but in a great way oh. that I support. Um, he, uh, the, the Washington quarterback, Penix, so he managed to throw out big Penix energy. He kept saying that. Oh, geez. So he said it so many times, too. Stop. He has to the stop The wild now. one is the time that he just kind of came out and said it in the Michigan game. The orgy Michigan one. Michigan running back scores, and he goes, and there he does goes. Does he know that he and went to an, Baylor? Like, this is not uh, oh, that, a good that, look? No, that's when he know that was all a facade. Which, you know what, they... God, it's such a dumb statue. They made a statue of him. Good Lord. Which but one are you talking the Michigan about? Michigan game's amazing. Are you about the orgy? The running, back, running back goes in and he goes, and there he goes. And it's just an orgy in the end zone. And oh, they play geez. the outro music. It goes to break. Wasn't it because on of the Disney's, guy's name? On Disney's ESPN. I want to see, I see I the, like, 79-year-old big blue fan that's just like, what the heck's going on with this guy calling the game? <laughs> Get him out to, of there. I think that the player had some type of name that sounded close to Orgy, maybe he said that. Oh, maybe I thought that there did. was some I, I, type of connection there. I don't think he just said it just to say it. Oh, I thought he was just I could be wrong. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here, but okay, I gotta look there has Michigan to be people right out there that think it's awesome. I'm sure there are. I just... I'm, hey, I'm a fan know, of it, it just, but sometimes... It just sounds like he's dad not, jokes. He's not the kind of guy that should be doing that bit. It's fine um, if it's fine if if you don't care about the game. So I guess if he's calling like a lower tier game, but let me tell you this right now, it, I don't want to hear him calling Florida State Miami. I really don't because I don't. That, none of that stuff is necessary. The game sells itself. You know, I'm not really here for your stand up routine. I'm here you, to watch an amazing game. What'd you guys I, think of uh, Chad Powers? Uh, I thought it was funny, but I thought it could have been a lot better. Like, I thought they sold out on what he was doing way earlier than they could have. It just seemed, it seemed like the whole thing was scripted and everybody involved knew what it was. It didn't seem like it was legitimate. Oh my God, that's Eli Manning. I had, I would have never known. It's like, you already look like a weirdo. So everyone's going to look at you like, who is this guy? He looks like a serial killer. And so why would you not already... (laughs) Like, be a, there's something up here. And he's like 6'4", and these are walk-on <laughs> quarterbacks, and he's slinging it. So it's like he's standing out immediately. There's none of this, like, surprise. For I think it would be better if it's somebody like a Johnny Manziel, a little bit shorter guy. He gets out there, starts just slinging it all over the yard, and people will be like, oh, wow, you know, whatever. But, like, Eli Manning already – he's Eli Manning's a pretty big dude, especially if you're talking about standing him next to walk-on Yeah, people. but he has a dad bod. He's not like you see he him does, like, yes. dude, that guy – He's got this, he's kind of dorky, you know, he's got this weird gait. I don't know. I, I I think there was people that knew, but I think there was a few scouts that were like, and kind of in the dark, like who, what, I, what is this? I give, that was a pretty good throw. What? 
I give Eli a ton of credit for doing it. It was, I think from his perspective, it was as funny as he could make it. And I just think it's one of those things that looked a lot better and sounded a lot better on paper than what it ended yeah. up being. And, and, you know, we've talked about it on here. Kent, you, you gave us that suggestion that time about the documentary on YouTube about Sarah Night Live and to see the behind the scenes of that, you, you get the, you get the understanding that there's a lot of that that goes down that in that room when they're selling it, there's a lot of jokes that they're, they're like, this skit's going to kill. And then it gets out there and it's not so good. And then there's others where you're like, oh, this is going to be just kind of a throwaway. Maybe we'll make it our eighth one. And it ends up being the best one, especially if Will Ferrell's involved. But no. Uh, sure. So <laughs> so I, yeah. The best stuff was him getting in the makeup chair, like coming up yeah. with the personality. That was yeah, the best that stuff. Yeah, that was fun. It's like when and he got it, out there, he got flustered. He was like, oh, crap, I actually have to do this now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It kind of went on too long, you know. Yeah. Um, I also thought uh, they should have highlighted some of his big throws a little bit more. To just really highlight like how much better his throws looked than everybody else's. I mean, mm-hmm. it was still good. I mean, if they want to do awesome. it, yeah, at a different school every other week, I probably would still watch it. So, what am I talking about? It's also a weird thing too when you watch something and it's got you know a time a timer on it now instead of just watching it for what it is. You know, like I know when I open it up, it's a fifteen minute thing, right? Yeah. So you're kind of like waiting on it to happen, waiting on it to happen. It's like if you don't know. That it's going to be a 15 minute thing in your head. Maybe you're just kind of watching it and enjoy yeah. it for what it is. And instead, I kept going, well, I've got 10 minutes left and it's uh, done a couple funny things, but where's this going to get, you know? He's so much more entertaining than I ever expected him to be, uh, yeah. just from so. drawing off of when he was a player. Because I think a lot of people would say, well, Peyton's funny. But Peyton would have little moments while he was a player that kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. I always think of the Vanderjack, our liquored up kicker, you know? So he had <laughs> moments. Whereas Eli was just so by the book and down the middle. And you know what? To be honest with you, maybe that had something to do with where he played, that he just wanted to keep it that way. Maybe if he's playing in Indianapolis or Denver, maybe he lets it show a little bit more. Maybe he always wanted to keep it uh, straight laced because New York, New York media, things like that. But yeah, he's, I mean, I love Troy Aikman. I think Troy Aikman is as good as they they come in the business in, in terms of NFL TV analysts, but it's tough for me not to watch the Manning cast. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna, no. you, they got to be making pretty good money on that thing because you you got to think Peyton and Eli could each go get their own job somewhere Absolutely. and make a killing. Absolutely. So, but they both got kind of the Jimmy Johnson deal where they get to do a lot of it from home and there there's yeah. a lot of that. I mean, that they got to awesome. make it worth their while to be able to. Yeah, and yeah. they produce it themselves and and it's all in house. I, I I think they're doing doing a great job with with that stuff. John, I wanted to ask you uh, before we get out of here. What was with this uh, guy yelling communism wins in the press conference? Well, I'll tell you this. PR did not want us talking about it or tweeting it out or well, anything. Well, the Cowboys hey, kept it on their Obviously, YouTube, I tweeted it out. I, I, mean, um, <laughs> I don't think they were happy that I tweeted it out, but it's not like it happens all the time. The reason why is they don't want people doing this all the time. You know, it's the whole, you know, when someone runs on the field during the game, you know, they try not to show the person on the TV telecast. And I didn't show the person, you know. I just said that somebody ran in. I will say I messed up and I said communism wins. But when I listened back to it, he said communism will win. Um, but uh, I'll just put oh, it to you this way. Security is going to be uh, a lot more beefed up now because of this uh, person being able to sneak into the back of the room like that. So it was it was a wild moment. But I will also say this. There were some people that were in that room that after it happened uh, were a little nervous about things. Because the idea that someone could just walk in there in the back of a room and you're not paying attention and anybody can just walk off the street and do whatever they want, you know, it's a little bit concerning, you know, especially in the, in the world we live in nowadays. So uh, 
Uh, I thought Mike McCarthy handled it well, but it was, I mean, it's nothing I've ever seen Man, before. His face right here when the guy, he's yeah. like, oh no, something's going yeah. down. That yeah. You're absolutely yeah. right. The way they had the star set up, I mean, the entrance to the star in the press conference area is like 10 feet apart. So you can walk yeah. from the entrance right into that press conference room, basically. Well, there's, and it's, there and is it's a decent amount of the public. There is a decent amount of security. Yeah, and it's not really, though. Uh, it's There's security that will come up and stop you as soon as you walk those doors if you don't have some type of a badge yeah. on. So I don't know how he was able to get in, but, hey, it's kind last of year. enough, yeah. I mean, last year during that playoff game after it was Broke over, away you know, from someone, someone got into the that Dak Prescott press conference and even asked, like, a question or two. So I think that's what yeah. this person was probably trying to do was is uh, ask a question or something and – uh, he got shut down. PR noticed him, and then when they were trying to escort him out, that's when he yelled. I thought he said "communism wins," but after listening, it sounds like he said "communism will win." So yeah, very very oh. strange moment there. Very early in the you really think Prince. he was trying to ask a football question and then went to "communism will win"? I don't know. I think he oh, I don't know. To... I, well, no, 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 no. I don't think I said football question. I said ask a question. So oh. I don't know what he was gonna yeah. say. You know, whatever. But. Hmm. That's terrifying, it's, dude. This day and age. Just, yeah. 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 It's Cowboys, there's too many man. public incidents, if you, uh, you know what I mean. So, like, uh, I, I just, yeah. uh, I get the sense that they're not very pleased that that happened. And so I expect uh, there'll probably be a little bit more uh, security around because of that now. Yeah. Well, here we go. Monday here we go. Night, Cowboys, Giants, week three. Get a little Sunday. We could kind of check out the rest of the league as well. Um, but uh, we'll be with you on Monday night late after the game in New York. John will be out at the Big Apple. Really, New Jersey. Um, for, no, I'm uh, going to the Big Apple, baby, Sunday night. Yankees, Red Sox. I'm going to be there. All right. I'm going. Yes, sir. I, I, will I, never, I will never not go into the city. Yeah. I think I've been there I'm about seven trades. or eight times now, and I will never not. And the reason I bring this up is because I'm not going to mention any names, but there's older people on the beat who there are several times they're like, hey, I don't feel like going in the city. And I'm like, whenever that happens, I will stop going to road games. Absolutely. Dude. I love dude, when the schedule has the Giants and Jets both on it. Love it. Love it. Fantastic. I feel the same it's, way about New York. Like I feel the same way about New York. Maybe as I go there about, on Friday instead of Saturday, you know, spend the Yeah, no, day. seriously. Yeah. New York City and, and Southern California for me. I don't know that I necessarily want to live in either spot. But I love I love visiting, and I love that I get paid uh, to visit those spots because of the Cowboys yeah. schedule. It's amazing. Sure, gives me the juice. Love it. Nothing uh, like well, that, nothing like New Jersey. Keep hey, following. It's nothing like going in the nothing city. Nothing like Secaucus. Oh, getting a traditional <laughs> New York slice from Sabaros, man. Oh yeah, and the bubble gum shrimp. Love it. Um, it's the heart of civilization, John. I love it. Pizza Rat, say what's up to Pizza Rat. City seriously um, never sleeps. I love it. There's always something going sleeps. on there. Never sleeps. Always something Dude, going stop, on. Stop by SNL and pitch a few ideas. I've got some things I'll send with you. you if you didn't have to wait out there for so many hours, I would love to do that. But I just don't feel like, I don't know. I don't go to the city enough that when I do go, I, there's things that I want to, there's touristy things I need to do. I don't, it's not back until October anyway. Oh, so okay. October 1st. Next time. Miles Teller. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, rock on, everyone. We'll see you. John's going to have more stuff for you later in the week. Um, obviously, you know, you never know if Jerry will say something wild. If we have any emergency news, we will pop in, as we always do. Make sure you're checking out Bob Stern's work as well and the rest of the gang at The Athletic. For our producer, Kent Garrison, for Father John Mashoda, 
I am Kevin KT Turner. We'll talk to you Monday night on About Them Cowboys. Oh. Home of Cooper Rush. Well, prepare to be Russified.